everybody, and welcome into Podcast 310. I am your host, Ben Mayer, and I'm here with Grady Gillette. What's up, Ben? And Michael DeRigo. Good morning, boys. How are you guys doing this morning? I was talking to you guys about this earlier. I got a full eight hours of glorious sleep. Let me tell you, it is a game changer. <laughs> I, I feel rested. I feel upbeat and ready to talk to our listeners. Fantastic. That's amazing. amazing. That, that made my morning, just hearing how well-rested great he was. <laughs> Thank you. That just made me happy. We're, we're prepping for another day of football here at our household, which we're all big fans of. We are in dire straits in the <laughs> fantasy football world. Uh, but that's okay, because there's always next year. <laughs> there is indeed. So we're spending some time on this podcast to talk about um, speaking to customers, speaking to the people who you think might be buying your product and what kind of questions you would want to ask and what kind of things we want to learn in that process. So we want to begin, last podcast, we talked a little bit about the initial ideas we had before we had landed on Bump Call. One of those that we mentioned was an idea for a kind of waste watchers type app where the app would help you reduce the amount of waste you had over a long period of time. And so we kind of wanted to start by talking about the questions that we use to validate this problem and why we eventually realized that we should move away from it because of the responses that we got. For this initial idea, we created some, some pretty in-depth user personas and identified what we believe to be our target audience, the younger generation, Gen Z, who is highly aware of climate change, of global warming, and the impact that our actions have. So we, we really dove deep into talking to these people and our initial, initial responses, I think we all agree, were very encouraging. Hearing from people, this, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I acknowledge this is a big problem. I want to make changes. I'm willing to make changes in my lifestyle to support the planet and make it livable for the future. So we got really excited about that because it is, of course, I think, like we mentioned last episode, something that we all personally care a lot about. But framing the scope of our questions past that, we wanted to dive more into the actual actions that people were taking in their own lives at that point in time to combat the problem. We were finding that although people were vo- like being very vocal about their concern about the planet and climate change and the amount of waste that they're producing, a lot of the times the, the scope of their actions was not directly reflective of that. So this just kind of entered in the idea that people are not always doing what they say. Like we would, we would ask following up the questions talking about like, is this an important topic for you? Are you concerned about the future of the planet? We would ask more action-based questions like, do you recycle? Do you compost? What actions are you taking to be more sustainable in your life right now? And when we would ask those questions, we would kind of, and when people would say, you know, I, I do all these things, but I don't really think the responsibility is fully on me. And there was always this propensity to shift the responsibility onto a larger entity, be it large corporations like Amazon or large government organizations needing to make institutional changes on a broader scale. And that kind of was reflective to us that, okay, this is something that people do care about, but the need is not pressing enough in their day-to-day lives um, for us to maybe pursue it in this capacity. Yeah, I think one thing we should have considered more heavily at that time is how some of those initial questions we were asking kind of really could only have one answer. You're kind of shaming people into Mm -hmm. an answer. When you ask something like, 
do you care about global warming? Do you think it matters? Yeah. A lot of people, you know, there's only one answer. Yeah, you're going to kind of guilt people into saying, yeah. yes, yes, I care. It's, yeah. it's a big problem. And we didn't actively consider that until we were reflecting after the fact and saying like, oh, wow, you know, all of the answers are the same at the beginning, but not when it gets to the action side. Yeah, and I think that's especially the case with the demographic and the audience that we were working with. That's something that we probably should have thought about more. I think with a younger audience that is so engrossed in social media all the time, where cancel culture has been born, yeah, everyone has this huge fear of potentially even answering that question mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah, because they you can get absolutely ostracized. So I agree. We we were asking a little bit too much of leading questions. It was definitely tough though, because we still wanted to get the real answers to those questions. We wanted to know legitimately if someone did care about their effect on the environment. It's just that it's so hard for anyone to honestly kind of be introspective Mm -hmm. and realize whether they they truly care or whether it's something they've just been told they need to care about forever. So they feel like they need to regurgitate that back. So yeah, and and just like Michael said, we learned about their actions and we heard people weren't they weren't going to really great lengths to change their behavior to be more sustainable and eventually i think we use that information to as justification for pivoting off this idea i think we really had hopes for what we wanted our audience to say Mm -hmm. and act like and we weren't willing to just accept our audience listen to what they said and go from there and that was a, a huge lesson for all of us not trying to assume certain certain things about the audience, just listen and accept it. Yeah, and I think I think one other thing I'd want to mention here is connotation is a big part of the answers that you're getting and kind of the the enthusiasm with which you're getting answers. This was something that we were told really early on, I think when we started to get some mentors and hear from some people right. at the Build Lab was if the answers that you're getting are just like, oh yeah, that sounds cool, or mm, I might get that, it means you have nothing. Yes. yes. Nothing. You're, yes. Getting, you're getting polite listeners who are trying to be respectful. Lukewarm means no. Exactly. It's like trying something out at the store. If you don't love it, then it's a no. Yeah, you're not going to buy it. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's weird, though, because psychologically it's still hard, because you yes. do get attached to these ideas, right. and you want to try to twist the responses that you've gotten into the data that you need to move mm-hmm. on, yes. but you're just setting yourself up for failure that way. And I think this ties really well into the medium that you're using to get this data. And we were doing actual interviews with people and having extended conversations with them. And I think if we didn't do that and we were just sending out surveys or, or questions to people and we were just getting, um, you know, like discrete yes or no, one or two, like scalable answers like that, we're not going to get... Um, exactly what we needed. So I think that when you're investigating a problem at this level, it's really important to actually get somebody across the table with you and make it an open dialogue so that you can make, you can infer around their answers a little bit more, read into body language, exactly. um, voice That's inflections, stuff like that. Yeah, because people are saying a lot more than just their words are most of the time. Yeah, after that, we we changed ideas. Again, go back to the last podcast if you want more of a detailed overview of how that happened. Um, moved on to this idea of bump call. And initially, I think very first night, we mentioned the, how excited we were um, last time to have this idea that we were all 
really invested in. So we kind of did it the wrong way right off the bat. We made some calls to our close friends who were people who we could have kind of used as, as customers if we had wanted to, um, but we were just we just wanted to make sure that we had something. We weren't just going down another fruitless path. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and the, the mistake that we made was we had this seed of an idea, as Grady, I think Grady said last episode, and we kind of just threw that at people and say, like, does this sound cool to you, more or less? Mm-hmm. And people were saying, like, yeah, of course, but... The issue with that is that we're not getting into the actual problem behind the solution because people have an acute awareness of the problem, but they don't always know what a great solution is going to be in any given scenario. Yeah, and as we just spoke about, we knew we knew better than to do this, <laughs> that you might hear something that's very encouraging, it seems as if data that we can um, use to move forward. But we caught ourselves very early on and said, hold up, be patient. We know this isn't the right process. We need to discover if this is a true pain point for this demographic. Is this something that they feel enough to want a solution? And if so, is our solution the correct one? Yeah, and this was a, a bit of a difficult thing because when you're really excited about a solution or an idea that you really believe might work it's hard just to be an open listener and really internalize all of the things that people are saying because it's so easy to kind of because you know we kind of i think all feel this way that this idea is kind of like our little baby and we want to we want to make it grow as in any way possible so we get very defensive about the idea and it's really difficult to to get past that and just kind of be very objective and open to what people are giving you so that you can respond in the best way possible i think one of the one of the parts that makes it so hard is you constantly feel like you have a greater understanding of the product than anything that the mm-hmm. people you're talking to could possibly realize and so anytime you get a complaint you're just like oh no but there's this other stuff that's going to solve that there are these other features that will make it so that you don't have to worry about that or if you just use it right as the user then you're going to be fine you won't have to worry about any of these problems right could it be could not have be like a worse thing to do we've all learned this now <laughs> yeah. but like guys do not do that you need to stay water like bruce lee says you need to listen to your audience and don't put yourself on a pedestal and assume that we have the solution that they need they just don't know it yet the audience is the expert and we are going off of what our users need Mm -hmm. and what does not exist yet and we know that now but it's like it's much easier to say it than to do it just swallow your pride and don't be afraid to make big changes yeah the the one other thing i'll say about um getting really excited about the product and focusing on that is especially after we made those first calls and we got uh, those those positive responses, it would have been so easy to just continue calling people and asking to validate the product mm-hmm. because it would have, it would have been able, we would have been able to convince ourselves really easily that, okay, this is the direction to go. People were describing this to people and they're saying they're, they like it. But if you don't figure out the underlying reason of why they like it, you're going to be so lost when you're trying to develop more of the specifics. Yeah, it's just it's just something to think about and where you can kind of take the wrong direction. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah, it can it can definitely be a recipe for disaster. And I think that kind of ties back into how you're asking the questions that you are trying to source information from. So 
for us, we thought that we wanted to get a balance between not being biased, but still trying to source the information that we needed. Yeah. So making non-leading questions, making them really open-ended. So kind of the goal for us was to open a dialogue about it and just kind of let people talk and get us an idea into their, their mind and how they think about the problem in a very organic way. Uh, so that just kind of, we, we kind of more so in these customer discovery interviews or whatever you want to call them, wanted to just kind of have a couple talking points and just see what people were, were thinking off, off the dome about it. And I think something we learned there, two very important points are to really lean into awkward silence mm -hmm. and don't, don't try to fill that with just empty words. Don't try to put more into the user's uh, head, just let them talk, let them kind of explore their own opinions. Sometimes it's hard to articulate that first. And don't be afraid to push a little bit more, you know? Right. It's good to hear from someone that says, yeah, I like design A, I don't like design B. I like this idea you have, I don't like this idea. But maybe just don't be afraid to push a little bit more and take the time to get down to the root of the problem, you know? And it's definitely hard. Like it's, you say that, but all, especially when like, when they're friends on the other line, you're just like, tell me more, tell me more. And they're just like, uh, mm -hmm. and they're not volunteering any of that information. You feel like, or at least I have felt like it shouldn't be, it's, I shouldn't be blaming them. I shouldn't make it their fault that they don't realize the words that, to, to articulate the actual problem they're feeling or the real answer to this question. Right. And they only can really decipher the surface level thought. Right. And yeah, we can't really blame them for that at all. That's on us to be like, okay, and why? Yes. Okay, and why? <laughs> and really digging into each successive layer because we need to find out what the core of the problem is and kind of build outwards from that. And you can't get that um, if you're just content to let, you know, whatever their initial answer might be. We need to find out what the problem behind the problem kind of is. Yeah, like I think a little analogy is like you might fly through high school math just knowing how to do like how to take derivatives and and the process but once you kind of move into the upper levels if you don't know why what you're doing mm -hmm. is the correct manner to do it then you'll you're gonna be lost yes. and you're mm -hmm. setting yourself up for failure absolutely yeah so kind of moving off that once we once we figured out what the root problem was for people the next logical step for us was figuring out what solutions were out that they were trying to address the problem right now and what were they doing well why did people like them what were they failing at and what could we do to kind of bridge that gap yeah so so we were just asking what people use to communicate with their friends currently a lot of the answers were um, facetime texting snapchat and since quarantine had started, um, or kind of was in full, full, full force, yeah. force at this point, Zoom was a big answer. A lot of people had kind of scheduled Zoom parties with their friends mm -hmm. to keep in touch, which was a good way of doing things. Just to, just to go back to the problem real quick, do you guys think that, how, how would you evaluate the job that we did in researching the problem and actually digging into the customers as much as we should have initially? B. I'd give us a B. We um, yeah. we knew like if I'm if I'm the teacher here evaluating this assignment, yeah. we knew what to do. The groundwork is there. I think our application 
we didn't exceed expectations. I think there were times when you you got to the second level. Someone says, this is a problem for me. I don't stay in touch with my friends enough. Mm-hmm. And it's because I often don't know what to say and I have a hard time finding the time. And that's pretty good. That's, that's B, B plus, but you can always learn more and gain very valuable insight by allowing allowing the person you're interviewing to go a little bit further, just delving a little bit deeper, as we said before. And we've learned this now. I think we did a good job, but we definitely, if we could go back and do it again, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And kind of in tandem with that, just broadening the scope of the people that we talk to, because we kind of, when we came up with this idea and the problems surrounding it, we immediately gravitated towards people of our generation, people of our age, because we were all using these means of communication, but we didn't explore older or younger demographics in a radical manner. We were really honed in on the Gen Z demographic. So I wish we could have equalized maybe the amount of interviews and the amount of time that we'd spent on people younger than us and also people older than us and kind of gained a more holistic perspective on that from the get-go. So that's another point um, I think we could have improved on a little bit. We were definitely biased by those being our peers Mm -hmm. as well and just being the largest pool of people that we know and could have easy access to. But I agree, especially because this does feel like a problem that could affect so many different age groups and demographics equally. I would also agree with the the B grade, maybe even B minus, because I think we were lucky enough to be able, we did enough of these interviews that we could discern a, a deeper level from what we heard, even if we weren't always hearing those exact words. But I think part of the struggle too comes from what we've kind of narrowed in on as our problem now, which we think the real problem is people's fear of rejection when they reach out for communication. Admitting that is a really vulnerable thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're doing a customer interview for your friend who's starting a business, you're not really putting yourself in a position where you expect that you're going to have to be vulnerable. And maybe you're not ready to be vulnerable. And so it's hard to, to, to get people to say in as many words that that's the feeling that prevents them from reaching out. Yeah, and to get to that point, we've done extensive uh, sessions of brainstorming of psychological analysis almost. Like, (laughs) we were studying for this paper to get this grade, and I don't (laughs) think you can expect that everyone considers every action they take down to that minuscule level, you know? It's just not very common for people to do that. So I think, like what you're saying, if we had really gone above and beyond, we probably could have gotten there. But it takes, like, we would we would sit and talk and talk for and hours. propose ideas and backtrack and yeah. to get to the point we are now, we believe that is the root cause. But I think it's fair that, like you said, Ben, most people aren't actively thinking about that or ready to open themselves up to that extent. And that's just another part of it, too, which we, we mentioned before, I think earlier today, about whether these problems are on the forefront of people's minds. And even if it's if it's not right on the forefront or it's not in your conscious mind all the time, it can still be a problem that is like plaguing you. But it's it's something that's just affecting such almost short spurts of your life or these small enough segments mm-hmm. that it's hard to dig deep and find what that really is. Right. Yeah. Because because they're happening at such intermittent periods, you're not really taking the time to stitch all of those occurrences together and kind of find out what the underlying root of that is because 
I don't know. That's just not something that we, I think, naturally do in our lives. So I, I think you need a really deep level of introspection and like focus to find that. And it's much easier to just uh, just brush off certain texts that you don't want to do or think, oh, maybe it would be nice to call them, but that would be kind of weird, maybe. And you don't you don't think about why, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's somewhat of a it's a very real problem. We've heard again and again. It's real. And it has devastating impacts on people's mental health and these feelings of loneliness, but it often is an implicit problem that can be brushed away, I think, yeah. in a large part due to the the society we live in and the state of social media. But mm-hmm. it was definitely interesting and, and a challenge to come to that realization. So before we recorded this, Grady, you mentioned that you had talked to your old friend Philip a couple days ago, and he told you about this idea of a Goldilocks zone, right? He's an entrepreneur himself. Yeah, it's... A really interesting idea and he articulated it quite well but in our user discovery process we have interviewed a lot of people a lot of people with different ideas different social tendencies beliefs um, stages in their life like one and that makes it very very challenging to come up with a holistic solution that can be inclusive to everyone and that can be used by these various people and still get joy and real use out of it so you know for an example that's very applicable to our situation is considering your friend group you have highly extroverted people who would much rather be at the party and be the life of the party on a friday night you also have people who would much rather be at home watching the latest mandalorian episode or reading a book and We have found that the problem we are trying to solve is equally present in all of these people, but it is it manifests in a different way. So how can we take that data and apply it to Bump Call and learn how the same app, the same solution can provide a service that all of these various groups find satisfying and useful in their life? Yeah, I think uh, another um, kind of good, a good way to look at it or a, another difference that we might have within our audience um, is the more more extroverted, maybe you're looking to add a wider array of people as friends. And so, but for, for an introvert, I don't know, maybe you only have 15 or 20 people who you really would enjoy popping up on your phone for a random, random video call. So then what happens when you mix those two? And the extroverts are trying to add introverts who maybe wouldn't want to include them in their circle, how are you gonna marry that? And how are you gonna make it so, we're, we're trying to com- reduce or eliminate the, the ability to be rejected, right, with this mm-hmm. app, and how do we make it so that's still the case if you don't want to have all the people as friends that want to have you maybe. Yeah, I don't envy you, Ben. This is a problem that on the front end where I'm kind of doing my work with design, it. It doesn't look much different, but on the back end, trying to solve these problems is incredibly complex. There is, there is definitely a lot that goes into it, yeah. But no, but you you gentlemen helped me a lot. Just the, the conceptualizing is the biggest part. It's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to figure that out. And I don't know if we really have the answers, but I think the solution, like we've been saying throughout this, is just to talk to the, the widest array of people that you can and make sure you're re- accurately representing the entire audience mm-hmm. so that you don't leave any of those ideas out unconsidered. 
Yeah, it's um, exactly like what we were saying earlier. Maybe you get an answer that is valid and useful. Maybe people say, I want to talk to X amount of my friends. And the introverts say, no, not that that many people, a little bit less. Yeah. And it's not just the number that is important. It's why that number and why is that mm-hmm. most fulfilling to you? Yes. So what we need to know is why these people are most satisfied with communicating with their friends in this particular way at this time of day and all these other factors. And when we know that, we're able to really synthesize it all and create a new solution. That's what we're doing. But it's much more important to, to know the why than just the, the what. So I think we're about to the end of this podcast. One thing I want to say after talking about this topic is if you think you experienced the problem that we've been talking about, that it's difficult to reach out to your friends, and you think you could give us some valuable feedback on that, feel free to visit our website, um, bumpcall.com, and there's an email submission form where you can write a message and let us know, and we'd be happy to get in touch with you and talk. Other than that, we want to thank our good friend Ryan Christopher, who does our music for Podcast 310. Make sure to follow our socials at bumpcall310 on Twitter and at bumpcall on Instagram. Remember, as always, reach out to a friend or loved one today to stay connected and tune in next week for another episode of Podcast 310. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Stay safe.